In the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and on behalf of his council, I welcome all of you, members and guests alike, as we gather together to worship the Lord in the spirit of holiness. Uh, There's just one note, or a couple of notes, actually, before we begin. Uh, The first concerns the wedding bands uh, for Dave and Elena. Uh, The consistory announces that Elena DeBoer and David DeHaan uh, have indicated their intention to enter into the holy bond of marriage, according to the ordinance of God. They desire to begin this holy state in the name of the Lord and to complete it to his glory. If no lawful objection is brought forward, the ceremony will take place, Lord willing, on this coming Friday uh, at 1.30 p.m. at the Smithville Christian Reformed Church, and I will be officiating. And then just as well a note that um, catechism begins this Wednesday. Please do take note of that, 7.30 here at the church, grades 9 through 12. Shall we then stand to hear God's call to worship? Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen diligent to me, and eat what is good, and delight yourself in the richest affair. Let's take a moment of final preparation and silent prayer as we answer this call. Shall we pray? Loved by our Lord Jesus Christ, our help is in the name of the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Receive his greeting. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Then let's lift our voices to praise God. Singing from Psalm 107b, we'll sing the stanzas 1, 2, and 5.
as we come now to the table of our Lord, we come humbly, we come acknowledging our need of this grace. We don't come testifying that we're great and worthy. This is not a place for the worthy. This is the place for the weak and for the struggling, for the sorrowful, for the sinful, for those that know their need of God's sovereign grace. And to help us understand that, the Lord has spoken His law. For He said, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything. In heaven, of, uh, heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters under the earth, you shall not bow down to them or serve them. For though I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers to the children of the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. The Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, your male servant, your female servant, your livestock, or the sojourner within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. And therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, his male servant, his female servant, his ox or his donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. And we must not imagine that we can escape the judgment of that word by virtue of anything within ourselves. We are a people in need of grace, each and every one of us. We might imagine that we have kept some of the law, although when Jesus takes the law and uses it, he cuts us to the very quick. He shows to us the very depths of our hearts there is sin. But even if we should imagine that we have kept some of the law, we are told that we are to keep the whole law, all ten commandments. The writer James says that. He says, whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. And if you do not commit adultery but do murder, you've become a transgressor of the law. So we are reminded that even when we sin in small ways, we sin against all of the law and need to come before the Lord and admit that we are a people in need of grace. That's what we do by singing from number 130. We're going to sing all three stanzas of 130a as we confess our need of this grace that is given us in the Lord's Supper together this morning.
news is that we have come to worship a God who is unlike any other God, who is unlike the gods of the nations that demand you first prove that you are worthy before they welcome you. You must please them and then they bless. But here's what the Lord, or the Word of God rather, says about our God. In Micah 7, the prophet writes, Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. You will show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abram as you have sworn to our fathers from the days of old. This is the God we have come to worship today. This is the God that blesses us and all who trust in him with free grace and loving kindness. Just a couple of notes before we go to the Lord in congregational prayer. Uh, do note the announcement in the bulletin concerning the prayer of confession. For the last three months, we have sung our confession. We are going to go back to praying our confession next Lord's Day. Uh, and as well, uh, please remember in your prayers, Archie and Nancy Husinga, as well as Jane Husinga, uh, Archie's sister Sylvia passed away, and we want to ask the Lord for the mercies of his grace in this time of sorrow. Shall we come to the Lord then in prayer? Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we do thank and praise you for the riches of your love in Jesus Christ, which are ours in such abundance. We can come before you, Lord, in moments like this and lay before you the truth of our need, acknowledging our humility, acknowledging our dependence upon you and not, Lord, having to prove our worth. We live in a culture and in a society where we need to prove our worth, where we need to be attractive, we need to be strong, we need to be well off financially. We need to be able to do the things that we want to do and be free of all responsibilities. But Lord, you have shown us the more excellent way, the way of service and the way of sacrifice. And we pray that in worship today, we would be encouraged and reminded of this better way and that you would help us to fight against and overcome the devil, the world, and his whole dominion that we might in this coming week as well, Lord, live our lives in such a way that it would be clear to all who meet us that we are distinctive, unique, and set apart by you. Lord, we do thank you and praise you for making yourself known to us. We thank you that we can love and worship you in your presence today as your church in this place, and we pray for your church wherever she gathers today. Pray that she would be blessed by your grace, especially, Lord, by those who are worshiping in sorrow, who are worshiping under the cross, who are worshiping in fear. Lord, there are many in this world that give their lives, that will give their lives to serving you. They will be martyred for their faith in Jesus Christ. And we pray for those brothers and sisters in those congregations especially and pray that they would be both uh, protected and preserved by you. Would they remain faithful, Lord, in the face of such difficult challenges? And may they also be to us an encouragement, a reminder May they challenge us, Lord, to give up more, to do more, to surrender more in service to you, our Savior. Lord, we do pray that as you use us, that you would help us to advance your cause and your kingdom on this world so that we might indeed fight against our enemy. Help us to do that personally, Lord. Help each of us to fight against sin within our own hearts and in our own lives. 
do ask, Lord, that you would be with those members of our congregation who are living in sin. We pray that you would be with those that are being ministered, especially by the ministry of the elders through the work of discipline. We pray that they would hear the call to repentance and faith, that they would leave the dark pathways of sin and return to the light pathways of love and service in Jesus Christ. Help us as we minister, Lord, to these members. Help them to understand their need of your grace and repent and believe. Lord, we know that there are uh, those that are under uh, discipline, Lord, not because they are so unworthy or so different than we are. We're not better than them. Help us never to be self-righteous. And help us to see, Lord, that if those, Lord, who have gone before us could wander and fall away, then we must be all the more diligent and focused on staying faithful to you. Help us, Heavenly God and Father, in this coming week and in these days that we are called to serve you to stand fast in your word pray for a blessing on all of the various bible studies we pray for a blessing on all of uh, the various programs of the church that begin at this time of year we are grateful that christian education began this year we pray that you would bless our teachers and our students and we pray that whether they're at home or at school day school lord we pray that you would give them what they stand in need of And now bless, Lord, the kingdom seekers and cadets. Bless the teen club and the young peoples. Bless the Bible studies. Bless catechism as it begins this week. Bless all of these activities, Lord. May they be used by you to build up your church and to establish us more firmly in the faith. Lord, we pray that you would help us then to show the world that we're distinct and unique. That we are set apart by your word and will. Lord, we pray that for Dave and Alana as they make their plans for their wedding this coming week. We're grateful for what brings them together, the love and trust that you've worked in their hearts. Now bless their work, Lord. Bless their commitment to one another. Bless their wedding day and bless their married life. And Lord, watch over them all the days of their life. May they be for us also an example of Christ's love for the church and the church's submission to Christ. Lord, we pray that you would help us in all that we do recognize that that our way is not the right way and that your way is the right way. Help us to deny our will, our sinful will, and help us to pursue your will, the will that you've revealed to us in your word. Lord, may your word go forth in clarity, may it go forth in truth, and may your word, Lord, be heard by all, that we may orient our lives, arrange our lives in a way that brings you glory. We pray, Lord, that you would continue to provide for us all that we stand in need of. We pray that you would provide us safety and security as we travel, food and health as we serve, that you would keep us safe in a world, Lord, of instability, in a world, Lord, of illness and of stress and anxiety and all manner of challenges. We pray that we would experience that peace that passes understanding. Help us, Lord, to be content in all that we have. Give us not too much, Lord, lest we forget you, and give us not too little, Lord, uh, lest we uh, disobey you, but give us just enough, Lord, that we might rest in your sovereign grace. Lord, we do pray that you would receive our thanks for your blessing in the lives of George and Rennie Pott. We are grateful, Lord, that you continue to guide this couple and that you continue to bless them in all of the health challenges that they face and we commend them to your prayer or to your care, Lord, and we trust that you will make the transition for Rennie smooth and that things go well at home and for George as well for healing mercies in his surgery. 
We continue to remember before your throne of grace, uh, Nancy Algersma, and pray that you would give healing mercies in her life, that you would continue to bless the doctors and the nurses that are ministering to her. That as well, O Heavenly God and Father, we pray that you would give comfort to those who grieve. Again, we are reminded with the news of Sylvia's passing, we are reminded with Archie and Nancy and with Jane and their families, Lord, of Lord, the relentless progression of time. That there was a time, Lord, when we were young and when we were full of life and full of vigor. And our days, Lord, were spent enjoying the beauty of your good creation. And we gathered together to celebrate birthdays. And, and then there was a time, Lord, when we gathered together to celebrate weddings and children that were born and anniversaries. And then there comes a time, Lord, when we are gathering together to lay to rest our loved ones. And Lord, that is a, a regular order to life. We know that. And we know why it is and we know what it means. But Lord, it is yet difficult. So we pray for a rich measure of your grace in Archie and Nancy and in Jane's life. And we pray for a rich measure of your grace, Lord, in all of our lives as we are called at various times along the way to mourn. Lord, the memory of a lost loved one may bring up emotion in some people's hearts. Lord, there are times when a, uh, the, the anniversary of a passing, of a loved one's passing, comes on the calendar and in the days preceding, in the weeks preceding, our hearts are filled with grief and sorrow again. Maybe it's a birthday. Maybe it's a wedding anniversary. We could see it coming, Lord, and the weight of it can weigh upon us. And we pray that you would strengthen us and that you would care for us and that you would remind us, Lord, each and every day that those who die by faith, in faith, live eternally, that your Son, Jesus Christ, is the resurrection and the life. And whoever believes in him does not die, but lives forever. Lord, may that be our comfort in this life of sorrow and of grief. And may it sustain us as we serve you also today. May we reach out, Lord, now for the life of Jesus Christ, the living Savior, resurrected from the dead. And may we rejoice to participate in this grace and goodness that you have provided. Lord, we do thank you that we can celebrate life in so many ways. We get to celebrate, Lord, today with Josiah Vogel, a birthday. We pray for a blessing in his life. And in this coming week with Lou Duma and Elena DeBoer with Tammy Blockheis, with John Swagster, Swagster and Carter Burke with Brad Boss and Taryn Musker, Len Snipp and Olivia Fladeris, Owen Jacoby, uh, Jean, Jen Snippa, rather, and Ray Howling. Lord, we are grateful for all of these lives and we're grateful for all that they represent. We're grateful for the stages of life that they represent. And we're grateful, Lord, that you continue to bless so richly all who trust in you. Lord, we pray for those who are celebrating their anniversaries this week. We pray for Dennis and Roberta, Bob and Jeanette, for Ryan and Casey, William and Jessica, and John and Ashley. Lord, continue to bless these families. Continue to bless these homes. Continue to give to the men the wisdom they need to lead and to the women, Lord, the strength that they need to serve. Lord, may we see in them the wonder of lives lived in service to you and in your church and kingdom. So bless us, Heavenly God and Father, and hear our prayer now, for we offer it in Jesus' name. Amen. Then we're going to begin uh, this Sunday uh, a series of sermons that we'll, uh, we will... Um, listen to each time we have the Lord's Supper, uh, and they're out of, the series is out of Psalm 34. It is actually the, the um, family visiting theme for this year, this coming year as the elders 
come from home to home to visit with the congregation, they will take with them the words of Psalm 34. And over the course of the next um, four or five uh, Lord's Supper services, rather, we will be working through Psalm 34, and we'll also be singing through Psalm 34, starting now with Psalm 34a. We're going to sing the first two stanzas, Psalm 34a, as we prepare to hear God's Word. So let's stand to sing 34a, the stanzas 1 and 2. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, open now our hearts to receive the truth of your word. Remove the distractions, remove the selfishness, remove the pride, remove the arrogance, Lord, the sinfulness that so easily overwhelms that word that is planted in our hearts, like the weeds, Lord, that rise up to choke out the wheat that is sown, Lord, we pray that you would Remove and cultivate the soil of our hearts so that it might be received in good soil and that we might, Lord, grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Then turn with me to Psalm 34. Psalm 34. It's page 547. 547. Again, this is our family visiting theme or this is the text of Scripture that the elders will be bringing to your homes and will form the con- conversation that you have with them as they 
seek to discern the spiritual temperature of our congregation and encourage us with the Word of God to give ourselves more fully, particularly in a culture and in a context that is increasingly against what it is or contrary to what it is. The winds of our culture press against us. How can we stand faithful in those moments? Psalm 34 helps us. You'll see that it says at the outset that it's the Psalm of David when he changed his behavior before Abimelech so that he drove him out and he went away. Hear the Word of God. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. O magnify the Lord with me. and Let us exalt His name together. I sought the Lord and He answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to Him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. O oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. O oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. O oh, come, oh, come, O oh, children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days, that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. That's for the reading of God's holy word. Again, it's the verses 1, 2, and 3, the first stanza of Psalm 34, the verses 1, 2, and 3. That is our text this morning. Brothers and sisters, in our Lord Jesus Christ, as we come to this family visiting theme, as we come to then turn our thoughts and hearts not only for this morning service, but in the coming season of visitation over the next nine months or so, we want to think carefully about how our circumstance relates to that of David's as he describes it for us in the uh, the inscription of this psalm, that word that says it was written, this psalm, when he changed his behavior before Abimelech so that he drove him out and he went away. You can read the story of that in First Samuel 21. You can read the story of how David, having fled from Saul, you'll remember David's anointed, and Saul becomes very jealous of him, pins him against the wall with a spear twice, chases him around the land. You'll remember the times that he meets him in the cave, the time that David cuts off a part of his robe. you remember all of that story of that tension and struggle between the king, King Saul, and David, the anointed of the Lord by Samuel, and how David fled for his life at the outset of his ministry, at the outset of his office. And at one point, he fled then to the Philistines. He fled to the king of the Philistines, Abimelech. And when 
He got there, he was very quickly, or he very quickly found himself out of the frying pan, that was Saul's chasing and trying to kill him, into the fire, which was now Abimelech's grasp. Abimelech had him in his grasp, and Abimelech says, why, why should I let this man come live in my town? He's the one of whom they sang, Saul has slain his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. The tens of thousands that were slain were Philistines. So Abimelech says, I got this guy. I don't want him. I want to kill him. And so then David acted like he was mad, like he was out of his mind. He acted like he was crazy, like, like he couldn't think straight, like he was obviously a fool, that there was something very wrong. Something had happened. He'd hit his head too many times, whatever. He was no longer a threat to anyone. And so Abimelech let him go away. So that David found himself in that text, in that event, between a rock and a hard place, but by a crafty solution, found a way of escape and went to fight another day. That's the context of Psalm 34. We don't always think of that when we listen to the well-known verses out of it. The Lord encamps around those who fear Him, taste and see that the Lord is good. Not one of His bones will be broken. A reference, of course, to Golgotha and what happens in, to Jesus on the cross of Calvary. We don't remember the historical context of it, but we ought to because it, it forces us to answer some very challenging personal questions. For listen to how David now starts this psalm. You remember the context. David finds himself between the rock and the hard place with a crafty solution, makes his way out. And now he says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. I will bless the Lord, says David. The Lord, the covenant God. That is, when David calls God Lord, capitalized as it is in our Bibles, when David calls God Lord, he's referring to God as the one who makes promises, who had said to David, I will bless you, who had said to Abram, I will bless the world through you, and always keeps his promises. When David says, I will bless the Lord, he's saying, I will bless the God who despite my foolishness, who despite my failures, who despite the fact that I do not deserve any of this blessing, is so faithful a God, is so good a God, that He blesses. And I will praise this God. I will bless the Lord, He says, at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. David doesn't mention here at all his own craftiness. He doesn't mention his brilliant ability to feign madness and how that delivered him from this difficult circumstance. No, David says, the reason I escaped, the reason I was delivered, the reason I was saved from this terrible moment of life is because God is good, because the Lord is great, because the Lord is faithful. And this undeserved deliverance and notice it's not a future deliverance David's Christianity if we can use that term David's faith in God is not a pie in the sky kind of faith it's not a future when I die and go to heaven it's not merely a future when I die and go to heaven faith it is a present in the moment God is delivering me now faith in the present in this moment God's power is being expressed He says, for that reason, I will praise the Lord, and I will praise Him continually. 
Language not to be pressed too literally, of course, when he says, I will pray or I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. David's not saying there that he, from morning to night, sings the praises of God as he goes about his daily activities. But he is saying that in his soul there is a joy. There is every day, every moment, every week, month, and year At every place and circumstance, in the highs and in the lows, there is a joy in his heart because God has delivered him from this life and death moment. That he is and will be forever grateful to God for his deliverance in this difficult spot. And he will announce it to the world. Notice that he says, his praise will be, shall be continually in my mouth. It's not just private. It's not just in his heart. It's not just in his mind. He announces it. He tells it. He declares it to the world. Let me tell you what God has done for me, says David. That's how he praises. That's how he glorifies God. So that in verse 1, we are invited as God's people to see David as a delivered, unworthy servant of the Lord who by virtue of God's goodness to him proclaims the Lord's faithfulness to any and all who will hear. And I think that that's something some of us have experienced in the past as well. I think some of us have found ourselves at times in very sticky spots, in very difficult situations, maybe a health concern, maybe a financial concern, maybe a physical situation, maybe a loved one was in the hospital, maybe we were in a tight spot. We might even say that those moments were, humanly speaking, hopeless, where you you said, There's no way out of this. There's no escape at this point. There's no way that I can experience joy and blessing again. And and we desperately, don't we? We desperately in those moments find ourselves on our knees praying to God, saying, Lord, deliver me. Lord, have mercy. Lord, show your grace to us in this hour. And when the Lord then answers our prayer so wonderfully and powerfully, then don't our hearts find their expression or find David's expression within our mouths. Don't we then also say, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will continually be in my mouth. We rejoice. We stand in awe. We worship because of what God has done. The health that is restored to us. The miraculous healing or deliverance from a circumstance that is given to us. The return of a loved one that we thought was lost. We rejoice at the faithfulness of God. Yet for most of us, I think, in our ordinary days, in our busy times of schoolwork and laundry and meetings and paying bills, I'm not sure that in this coming week we will find ourselves saying with David, I bless the Lord at all times, or His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Now, without suggesting we all need to walk through smile, or life rather, with a permanent smile on our face, telling everyone and anyone how richly the Lord has blessed us, I think that all of us at some point can admit that our joy in the Lord, our expression of this joy in the Lord is a bit wanting. Are you satisfied today with your spiritual contentment before God? Can you today with David say these words, I will bless the Lord at all times, His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Just think of today. Were you excited today to come to church to praise God? Are you excited for this week and the opportunity you have to serve Him in your home, in your school, in your classroom, in your job? 
Even if we don't talk about how the Lord has delivered us to our friends and family, even if we don't testify of God's goodness towards us to our co-workers and neighbors, do those who we work with know that we are Christians? And, and not do they know we are Christians because we're self-righteous or judgmental, which is too often the way people know that we're Christians, isn't it? We look down on others. That's not what we're asking. Do your coworkers and friends and family who do not know the Lord, do they know that you love the Lord? That you are amazed at His grace to you? That you are thankful to be a believer? That going to church is not a chore for you, but a privilege? That studying the Word of God with like-minded believers is not a burden, but a blessing? Do you with David say, I have seen God's goodness and experienced His deliverance and so my heart is full of gratitude? Now you say, but I haven't experienced the miraculous deliverance that Paul, or rather that David experienced. I, I haven't been in that kind of a situation. I haven't been miraculously brought out of it by God's faithfulness. But, but before you jump to that conclusion, let's take a moment to look at the table before us. Let's think about a moment the cross of Calvary. And surely that is the greatest fulfillment of what David here experiences before the face of Abimelech. What was it that caused David to rejoice except that he was stuck, an enemy behind him and an enemy in front of him and no hope of escape? What of us? What of us who may not have political enemies in that way? We may not have those who are trying to literally kill us the way Abimelech and Saul were trying to kill David. But what about sin? What about pride and selfishness? What about our short temper? What about our rebellion against God? That is daily pressing against us. What about the grave? What about the yawning chasm of the grave doesn't that also stand before us? Aren't we also stuck between sin and death, between a rock and a hard place? And yet as we come today to worship, here stands the evidence that God has delivered us from this, that the Lord has shown His faithfulness to us. Indeed, that the greatest expression of the Lord's faithfulness to His people is the deliverance of them from the clutches of sin and death. Not some political or military force, but eternal forces that would drag us into the judgment that awaits those who rebel against God. Look at the table and judge whether you or David has the greater reason to praise God in this way. If David, having been delivered from Abimelech, says, I will bless the Lord at all times and His praise will continually be in my mouth, then shouldn't you, who have been delivered from death and sin itself, have all the more reason to say this very thing? And if we recognize that, do we then live that out? Do we talk about the Lord's work in our lives? We talk about it with each other, which is good. We talk about it in our Bible studies. We talk about it in our homes, around our supper tables, which is good. But why don't we talk about that with our neighbors and our co-workers? For some reason, we all of a sudden empty our speech of all of those Christian things that we talk about normally. We use words like providence when we talk with each other. We say things about like thank the Lord when we talk to each other. 
But all of a sudden, when we talk to our unbelieving coworkers, those words are missing. Those words are absent. But to be sure, there's something about our culture. We're not the most effusive people as Dutch folk. And if we talk about matters spiritual, it's usually to argue about theology. But, but shouldn't we, as those who have experienced the Lord's deliverance from so great an enemy as sin and death itself, Shouldn't we who know the guiding and guarding hand of God in our lives, shouldn't we bless the Lord at all times? And shouldn't His praise continually be upon our mouths? I know it's not for me. I know I don't live up to this expectation. I'm guessing you don't either. And we ought to reflect on that. We ought to ask ourselves why that is. And maybe it's because we don't experience the same kind of humility David did. I mean, think of the story of 1 Samuel 21, the whole business with Abimelech, and think if David had patted himself on the back and said, hey, well done, buddy. You got yourself out of a tight spot. You're pretty bright. You're pretty smart. Don't you think that that would have an effect on his focus on the Lord? If David believed that God owed it to him, if David believed that God had an obligation to bless him, then wouldn't David's praise be affected? Wouldn't his desire to celebrate God be affected? And isn't that ultimately what the devil's constantly whispering in our ears in this life and in this culture? The devil's constantly saying to us, you don't deserve this. You don't deserve this trouble. You don't deserve this struggle. Your marriage struggle, your grief, your loneliness, your business struggles, your societal struggles. You don't deserve this. How can God be good and you're suffering so much? Or maybe the more appealing, the devil says to us, look, you know what? You're good enough. You don't, you don't need this crutch. You don't need this crutch of Christianity. You're smart enough. You're good enough. You can achieve it on your own. You can find happiness apart from God. We live in a world that prevents us from ever admitting that we are too weak, too faltering, too frail, that we need a God like this who does amazing things like this. We live in a world where we need to be recognized as great where we need to be valued and put upon a pedestal. But that makes worshiping God very difficult, you see. And maybe our spiritual malaise is a consequence of our failure to see just how much we need God. And indeed, before we look for solutions to our spiritual malaise, and sometimes we do that, don't we? We, we want to get more excited about the Lord. We, we want to be more passionate about God, which is a good, good uh, impulse to have. But then sometimes we look for the wrong solutions. We maybe look for more exciting worship services or we more interesting spiritual experiences, more compelling moments or events, all of which are good in themselves to be sure. But, but maybe there's a more fundamental thing we should do. Maybe we should take stock of our own hearts. Indeed, as we come to the table of our Lord this morning, maybe we should ask ourselves even now, how amazed are we at the wonder of the Lord's saving work in our lives? Not just in particular moments, but in Jesus Christ who died on the cross for our sins. How amazed are you that Jesus gave his body and blood for you? And if you're unable to answer that question with the same kind of language that David does, is it possible that we've lost sight of how powerful and precious his blood is, his grace is, because we have thought ourselves more highly than we ought? And maybe we need to diminish so that He increases. We have a, a test of that 
When we, hear, when we read, rather, in verse 2, David say, My soul bo- makes its boast in the Lord, and let the humble hear and be glad. David says, I don't just worship God personally. I worship God publicly. Now, to be sure, he says, my soul, right? My soul makes its boast in the Lord. But that just means that David's joy is to the very depths of his being. His boasting is public, not private. We should not think soul here means that he quietly and privately boasts. But it means that his boasting in God is from the very, very deepest part of who he is. His whole being celebrates God the way the Word of God calls us to. He boasts in the Lord. You know those well-known verses in Jeremiah 9, verse 24, repeated, by the way, in 1 Corinthians 1.31 and 2 Corinthians 10.17. Let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Not in your strength, not in your wisdom, not in your riches, but in the Lord. And David says, my soul boasts in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Now, the word humble here is a, is a very particular kind of word. It's a word referring to people who have been or are right now going through a trial that is oppressing them, that's pushing them down. So it's, humble here doesn't, first of all, mean people that think less of themselves or that don't have any pride in self. No, as John Calvin says, this word signifies not all afflicted in general, but those who, being humbled and subdued by afflictions, instead of breathing a spirit of pride, are cast down and ready to abase themselves to the very dust. So they are people who are being pushed down, and instead of resisting, instead of saying, I can fight this, I can win, I can do this, I can handle it, they cast themselves before the Lord in utter dependence upon Him. Why should those humble people be encouraged by David's boasting in the Lord? That's the question verse 2 challenges us with. Why should David, who is the anointed of God, indeed the favored of God and the loved of God, why should his being blessed by God be an encouragement to the humble? That's a challenging question in the context of our culture, which is constantly teaching the weak and the frail to complain to adopt the clothing of victimhood. There are real victims in this life, let's not deny that, those who have suffered greatly at the hands of others. Too often, this victimization of everyone means that those who are genuine victims are no longer seen or heard. And that needs to be a problem. We need to acknowledge that there are people who are indeed victims. There are humble, oppressed, who are hopeless and helpless as David presents them in our text. But too many people in our culture today, too many people tell the weak and the frail that their situation in life is entirely owing to the powerful, to the oppressive system. That it is precisely men like David, the power brokers of this world, who are causing life to be miserable for us. And the reason we have to suffer is because of those guys and their decisions and let them suffer and and let them be brought down. They need to experience a bit of our suffering in order to understand what we're going through. So that for the world, the humble are made glad not when they hear the deliverance of the powerful, 
That was David delivered. He, in our world, the humble are made glad when they hear the suffering of the powerful. When they hear that those who are up there don't have it so good anymore. That's not at all what David teaches here. That's not what the Word of God. The Word of God doesn't say have some schadenfreude and maybe that'll make your life better. No, David says let the humble hear and rejoice because I've been delivered. And the only reason David can say that is because they, the humble, like David, are unworthy of deliverance, undeserving of grace, unable to deliver themselves from the circumstances of life, but have a God who does it regularly. David's boasting presents to the world, presents to the humble, a God who resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. David says, let me tell you about my Lord. He delivers His people from the snare that is set for them. He rejoices to lift the broken and the frail from the ash heap, from the miry clay. Let me tell you about my God who knows that you deserve judgment, who knows that you ought to be pushed further into the misery, but chooses instead to lift you that you might experience blessing. David's presentation of the Lord was not that of a God who delighted in minutiae, in rules and regulations, in self-righteousness. This isn't a God who says, I will help those who help themselves. David boasts in the faithfulness of the Lord, humbling himself, David, acknowledging his own unworthiness, but extolling the greatness of a God whose power is made perfect in our weakness. Indeed, that's exactly, isn't it, what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, at verse 26 and following, he says, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of Him you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Now that is a challenging word to us today, congregation. That is a challenging word to each and every one of us. For it asks us, are those who are humble, are those who are under the burden of this broken world, are they encouraged by the way you present to them the Lord? Verbally, in the way that you talk about the Lord and in the way that you live before the Lord. When people think of your God based on what they hear and see of you, Do they see a God who is great and gracious? Do they see a God who is gentle and lowly of heart? Do they see a God who is merciful to the unworthy, kind to those who deserve judgment? Do people see that we're humble 
And that the only blessing we have is not because we're so smart at business, good at parenting, able at leading, but because our Savior is so kind. Consider as an example those times when we go through a trial and we meet people who have been through the same trial we're now going through. Don't you find comfort then in those people? Those people have been there before you who have said, you know, I have been in the weakness of chemotherapy. I have been in the struggle of financial strain. I have been in those moments of relational tension and stress. And I have come through it. The Lord has led me through it. And there's just something about those people that have been through the trials we're going through. There's something about their words that are just a little more comforting, a little more encouraging to us. There's a comfort in hearing their stories of survival and deliverance. They know what we're going through and they know the way out. Well, do those who are struggling under the burdens of this world, who are bowed down by the brokenness of this fallen life, do they see in us encouragement in that way? Do they see in us a people that have been there, have understood it, and are able to show them the way out? I can certainly think of people in my life, people in the faith who are constantly directing me beyond myself to the Lord, who are encouraging me by their witness and their work, boasting in the Lord that makes my heart glad. And their message to me is never, be better but always He's greater. And do we say the same thing to those around us? Are we able to testify to those who are struggling? Are they humble, encouraged when we boast in the Lord? Or do we give them the impression that the Lord helps those who help themselves? Do we give them the impression that it's self-righteousness that is required? Do we give them the impression that you have to be good enough to come to this table? Oh no, says David. That should never be the way. Listen to how he ends it. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt His name together. The language of the psalm now shifts from I and my and with, or now to to words like with me and us. That is, David isn't a one-man choir. And he doesn't merely want people to be encouraged by his testimony. No, he wants the Lord to be magnified, that is, acknowledged as vital, wonderful, great, and glorious. He wants God's name to be resoundingly praised with a multitude of voices. David, who has been delivered, and who knows in that deliverance the greatness of his God, knows how great the praise of his God should be. And so he says to everybody, let's go to church. Come on, everybody. Come with me. Let's go to church to praise God. John Calvin on this says that we give thanks publicly to God, not only that men may be witnesses of our gratitude, but also that they may follow our example. We come to church, you understand, to praise God. Oh, there's other things that happen. We learn things. We are encouraged. We are fed. We are equipped. Oh, there's many blessings we gain from attending the house of the Lord, undoubtedly. But the reason we come is because God's name ought to be magnified. And isn't that why we should invite that neighbor, that coworker, that friend? Not because we want them to be saved. Oh, we want them to be saved. Of course we do. 
Not because we want them to learn something. We want them to learn something, undoubtedly. We want them to come to church because we want to add their voice to the choir so that the sound of God's glory is made more glorious. That's what David's saying. David's saying the reason I invite people to church is not because I think they'll understand it. It's not because I think that their clothing will match the experience of the people that come. It's not because they'll understand all the language and terms that are used in the church service. I ask them to church because I have a God who's so great, He wants their voice too. He wants their voice to resound in the praise of His name. Indeed, is it possible that our lack of evangelistic zeal as a congregation is, expo- is, is exposed here? Because we too often think of worship services as these cultural events where we express our identity in the clothes that we wear and our need to learn things so that we can be better in the sermon that is preached. We don't hear the sermon as a reason to praise God. We hear the sermon as a way for our lives to be improved. We are instinctively and naturally works righteous. We come to church because we think church is going to equip us to be better people. And it does. I don't want to say it doesn't. That's not the main reason for church. Far, far above it is this, that God is worthy of our praise. David wants God's name to be exalted because he knows how great and glorious God is. The question is, do we know the same? I mean, think about all of these sports fans that are so excited when their team is winning. You think about in the spring when the Maple Leafs Just before they're out in the first round, you see these cars flying the maple leaf flag from their windows. Or you think about people that that, that maybe go on a particular diet all of a sudden and lose some weight, get a little bit healthier. And they become zealous evangelists for the, the, the Atkins diet or whatever diet it is. Or maybe maybe some some other experience people have. People who went to a particular vacation spot come back and they say, oh, you've got to go there. It's so great, you've got to go there. We're able to tell people all sorts of things about our priorities and preferences, about the things that we like and the things that we think are important. But what about our God? What about our witnessing? Is our witnessing of the Lord born out of a wonder of who God is? Or are we afraid Are we content to keep it to ourselves because we don't want to offend? Because we understand in the culture in which we live that Christianity is persona non grata. That Christianity is perceived by many as the very cause of all the problems that we're dealing with. Don't let the humble hear Christianity. That will just oppress them more. It's the opiate of the masses, said Marx. And in our Marxist culture, that that thought has returned. So do we just keep it to ourselves and just be content with our congregation as it is? Or do we see just how glorious our God is in Jesus Christ? Do we stand in awe of what He's done for us as we come now to the table of our Lord, as we hold in our hand the bread and the wine, as we, as we experience afresh and anew? I mean, think of it. The crucified body of Jesus Christ, the shed blood of our Savior who died Not because we deserved it, but because He loved us with a perfect love. When that wonder grips our hearts, is that not the key then to a successful ministry within our world? 
For when we witness, it is because we are passionate about what God has done and about the God that we love and serve. It's not about our programs. It's not about our abilities. It's not about our successes. It's just about God. Come, let us rejoice. Let us together magnify His name, for He is great and greatly to be praised. That's what we're going to see together in Psalm 34 over the next number of months. May the Lord grant us grace to answer the call and to respond to His grace in the way that David did with praise in our mouths. Let's pray before Him together. Merciful God and Heavenly Father, we thank You for this Word. We thank You for its encouragement. May the humble hear, Lord, and rejoice. But may we all, Lord, be challenged as well, challenged by David's right response to the grace that he received. And he who received little grace, Lord, may he be an example to us who have received a much grace. May, Lord, David's deliverance from Abimelech only stir in our hearts a greater sense of wonder who have been delivered from sin and death itself. And as we partake now of the, word, of the uh, sacrament, Lord, as we partake of the bread and the wine, may we find ourselves saying, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise continually shall be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. And then cause us, Lord, to say with those around us, O oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt His name together. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Then turn with me in your forms and prayers books to the celebration of the Lord's Supper, form number 2, page 53. Celebration of the Lord's Supper, short form number 2, page 53. Let's hear the exhortation. Brothers and sisters, you who desire to come to the holy communion of the body and blood of our Savior must consider how the Apostle Paul exhorts us to diligently examine ourselves before we eat of the bread and drink the cup. For as the benefit of this sacred meal is great if we receive the sacrament with a penitent heart and lively faith, so it is a great danger if we receive it in an unworthy manner. When we are guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord, we eat and drink to our own judgment. And we kindle God's wrath against us. But if we judged ourselves, truly we would not be judged by the Lord. Therefore, truly repent of your sins, place a lively and steadfast faith in Christ our Savior, and live in love with all people, so that you will be worthy partakers of this holy sacrament. Above all things, you must give most humble and sincere thanks to God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit for the redemption of the world by the passion and death of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Give thanks that he who is God became man. Give thanks that the Son humbled Himself to death upon the cross for us miserable sinners. Give thanks that we who walk in this dark world and in the shadow of death have been made the children of God and exalted to everlasting life. Because of this, we should always remember the exceedingly great love of our only Savior, Jesus Christ, and the innumerable benefits that He has obtained for us by His precious blood. This is why He instituted and ordained holy sacraments as pledges of His love and for a continual remembrance of His death to our great and endless comfort. To him, therefore, with the Father and the Holy Spirit, let us give continual thanks, submitting ourselves completely to his holy will and pleasure, 
and seeking to serve him in true holiness and righteousness all the days of our life. To all of you who truly and earnestly repent of your sins, who embrace Jesus by faith as your Savior and who desire more and more to lead a new life, following the commandments of our God, draw near and take this holy sacrament to your comfort. Hear what comforting words our Savior, Jesus Christ, speaks to all who truly turn to him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I'm the foremost. And if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins. Congregation, lift up your hearts. Let's pray. Merciful God and Heavenly Father, we do not presume to come to this table trusting in our own righteousness, but in your great mercies. We're not worthy so much as to gather up the crumbs under the table of your Son, but you are our merciful and gracious Father. Grant us, therefore, that we may feed feed on our crucified Lord by faith and that he may be united to us and we to him who with you and the Holy Spirit is worthy of eternal thanks and praise. Amen. And as we draw near to the table of our Lord, we're going to do so by singing, but let me first welcome to the celebration the following guests, Zach Kulin from the Zion FRC, Chris and Erica Van Manen uh, from the Hope Reformed Church of Tilsonburg, Catherine Tamiga from the Vineland FRC, and Heather Osterhoff from the Owen Sound Canary Reformed Church. We're going to sing from hymn number 356. We'll sing first stanzas one and two. Let's stand to sing stanzas one and two of 356.
institution of the Lord's Supper. The Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body. Do this in remembrance of me.
May the body of our Lord Jesus Christ, which was given for you, preserve your body and soul unto everlasting life. Take and eat this in remembrance that Christ died for you, and feed on him in your heart by faith and with thanksgiving. In the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me.
May the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, which was shed for you, preserve you body and soul for everlasting life. Drink this in remembrance that Christ's blood was shed for you, and be thankful. Then shall we come before the Lord in prayer. Almighty and ever-living God, we most heartily thank you. You have fed us, who have rightly received this holy sacrament with the spiritual food of the most precious body and blood of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. You assure us by this bread and wine of your favor and goodness toward us, that we are members of the body of your Son, which is the blessed company of all faithful people. You've made us heirs of your everlasting kingdom by the merits of the most precious passion and death of your dear Son. And we most humbly pray O Heavenly Father, assist us with your grace that we may continue in that holy fellowship and do all such good works as you've prepared for us to walk in. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, to whom with you and the Holy Spirit be all honor and glory, world without end. Amen. Then we're going to again sing from 356, now the stanzas 4 and 5. 4 and 5. We'll stand again to sing 356, the stanzas 4 and 5. are going to come forward and receive your gifts and offerings on behalf of the ministry at Trinity United Reformed Church in St. Catharines, that of Reverend McGalley of Pathway of Peace. After the offering, we'll stand and sing uh, the doxology 568 as we draw this service to a close.
Lord's parting blessing. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all.